podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. This is the Whistleblowers. Uh, I'm Martin Gritton. Harry's gone, but I am still here. Uh, joining me this week, we've got football writer, documentary maker, and more than an eye on Chelsea, Gary Hayes. Good evening, Gary. Good evening. Make how it are sound you? good. Yeah, I was going to say, how are you? We've, we've got a recurring theme tonight uh, of injury, but um, we'll get on to yeah, that. I'm struggling. How, how are you holding up? Uh, I might have to stand up in a minute, but because um, I, I tore my arse. But, uh, <laughs> and you're going to have to explain that a little bit more. Yeah, well, my left glute um, while doing some DIY, getting up the ladder. And, uh, just DIY, get out of how you did and your last nice I, I was building a bin shed as well, and I just bent over a bit too much, and it went. Well, enough of that, enough of that. And just to your right is a man, uh, Sammy James, who some of you might know is host of Fulhamish Podcast. How are you doing, Sammy? Very good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, nice to make my debut. Yeah, nice to make your debut on the Whistleblowers um, and join us as I, well, uh, as is the man on my right, uh, Owen Blackhurst, uh, features editor of Mundial Magazine. Uh, how are you, Owen? I'm all right. I've also got an injury. I managed to pull both my thigh muscles playing cricket on Sunday. Did you? Yeah, and but I'm glad for Gary that his injury wasn't as bad as Mascherano's when he did it. Oh well, well this is this is important. So, <laughs> well, mine's a bit like Eden Hazard. That's what I'm telling myself. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you can put yourself to professional football. Well, when he when he really stomped important. off the pitch when Jose's last game, it, it was because of his left glute as well. So. That's what I'm trying to. Well, there we go, Sammy. Do you have any injuries? That you I do have a little in? one. <laughs> wow! Played played, played football on Sunday, and uh, my groin's been a little bit tight, so I pulled out a five side tomorrow. Wow. Well, there's there must be something in the air. Something about do September. you have any injuries, Mike? I uh, I don't. I just you know I have a slightly distended gut at the moment. I think that's about <laughs> the only thing I have. So uh, an expanding oh, waistline. Correct. Well, <laughs> uh, swiftly moving on. <laughs> This season we've teamed up with Ladbrokes and we'll be bringing you plenty of specials. Our first is our bet £5, get 20 This means if you deposit £5, Ladbrokes will add another 20 to your account. As a listener to this podcast, you get this by following the link at bet.thewhistleblowers.net. We'll be tweeting this bet £5, get £20 link, adding it on our Facebook and we put it in the description of this podcast too. Okay, so back to the results from the weekend. Um, I'm going to start with Owen uh, purely because... Um, you have an awful lot to say on, on Liverpool as you've, you're a man that saw them last week at Sevilla um, you unfortunately had to witness the City game from afar I'm guessing and also uh, the 1-1 game at Burnley what's, your, what, what's been your takeaway after a, 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 an up and down week? I mean you can tell I'm a Liverpool fan first from my accent um, <laughs> the, the, the takeaway is <laughs> which is West Midlands if anyone's not picking yeah, up yeah well, we'll call it Shropshire and Shropshire's a very weird place where Shropshire not a lot happens a weird place. so yeah it's, it's, did you ever play in Shropshire because you played everywhere else Shrewsbury Salop I played uh, I did some time up there I've not played I've not played for any clubs within there, but um, yeah, I played at uh, Shrewsbury Gay Meadow back in the day. It's got a good Strawberry, as Eden Hazard calls them. Yeah, another <laughs> Eden Hazard reference. Is that right? Good for me, Eden. That's strawberry. Um, the takeaway from <laughs> the last week. week it's it, it's difficult because at the moment the way the the daily media is, Klopp's either the best manager in the world one day or the worst manager in the world the next, yep. and, and that's the same for most clubs um, because there's a daily agenda to fill. I think that the takeaway is just one of frustration. Um, the, the defensive issues are well documented. But, I mean, you know, you've played grits. You know that on a weekly basis, you're doing your drills every day and you're doing shadow drills with youth teams or reserve team or all 22 players are, you know, are involved. 
And that's a safe environment. But when you get out on the pitch, players have got to take responsibility. And it seems to me in every game, a Liverpool defender, whether it's one, two, three or four, are all switching off or all making individual mistakes. And it doesn't seem like, I don't know who runs that defence. Yeah. And with it, all the good defences we've had in history, you had a clear idea of who was running it. Yeah. You know, so, so, to, so to continuously blame Klopp for it, it's it's a difficult one for me. Yeah, and it, well, this is the thing. Moving on to Gary, I'm sure you've been watching the games as well. In terms of leadership, leadership's always been something that Chelsea has had through its back four, um, you know. And, and you've got Cahill coming back now. It's it's something that's interesting. I mean, looking from even from the Liverpool's perspective, of, do you see that as a major weakness for for Klopp at the minute and something he hasn't really addressed? Yeah, because and just to make a lazy reference with Chelsea is that you know since the. the the late 90s, really, Chelsea have been fortunate to have that leadership because when Dennis Wise left, Desai took over and under his arm, you know, he took John Terry and John Terry's been there for, you know, well over a decade. But then, fortunately, I think more out of accident rather than design that last year, David Luiz and Cahill came together with that understanding and, yeah. and Azpilicueta. And I think they sort of just take responsibility for themselves, but then through that, everyone else sort of just gels around them. and Seems to be a unit. Yeah, you create and, a unit, don't you? Yeah, and I think I think that's what Chelsea have got in that. You know, maybe if they'd brought another player into this libero role, other, other than Louise, maybe it wouldn't have worked as much because he had that understanding with players he'd played with already, and you know, and it was a solid defensive unit that Chelsea had had since 2011 when he came in in 2012 with David Louise and then Aspilicueta there. So they've had it and they've worked with good defensive coaches. Whereas I think the one thing I'd say about Klopp is that I think he's a great manager. Yeah. You know, but the one thing with him is that he's looking to play on the front foot and sometimes when coaches are doing that that maybe they're not as solid defensively which I don't yeah. think is a problem but I think the, just comparing it to Chelsea the benefit those players have got is that they've played under Mourinho for a few seasons and what does Mourinho do? Just drills, drills, drills which is why he got rid of David Luiz in the first place but yeah. you know, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's different but I think with Chelsea Cahill is captain and I think regardless of what people are saying on social media and their hashtags, that I think he will be for the foreseeable yeah. future. Well, I mean, Sammy, how do you, you, in terms of you looking from kind of perhaps, are you a season took order at Fulham? I am indeed, so yes. So going along to those games and, and seeing the kind of differences between how things have been challenging for Fulham since they've gone down, but also perhaps being seen as the entertainers of the championship, you know, well, that's how I've heard them described. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between Fulham and Liverpool. In fact, I mean, obviously in our own respective tiers, but a lot of people do compare us to Liverpool and especially with our frustration sometimes of beating teams that come uh, to Craven Cottage or sometimes when we go away from home, um, have a rear guard um, defence in front of us and, and we struggled to break it down we actually Fulham saw it this weekend we went away to Burton Albion who uh, a very small team in the championship yep. uh, only 4,000 in attendance uh, there this Saturday and when we lost 2-1 struggled to break down a very organised side and I guess that's the same that you saw with Burnley on Saturday at Liverpool yeah absolutely but you, you say about Liverpool's defence and yes obviously it's, it's a concern and not signing Virgil van Dijk I think will come back to haunt them massively yeah. over the summer we all know that there was lots of complicated reasons as to why that didn't happen but they had 35 attempts on goal this weekend mm. Liverpool and still only one went in from Mohamed Salah who looks to be an amazing signing but yeah. at the moment he looks like he's doing a little bit all on his own losing Sadio Mane is unfortunate and it yeah. was an unfortunate incident with um Edison up at Man City but you've got to convert 35 chances more than one yeah well, again so oh, you were there at Sevilla last week uh, you've seen Liverpool going forward but I think you, you, you highlighted it briefly before when we were chatting about the, the deficiency in the front line and, and 
Yeah, I mean, the, when when Rodgers did very well with Liverpool, he had a peak Suarez and yeah. a peak Daniel Sturridge. Both scored goals for fun. Both penalty box strikers who could score from anywhere. At the yeah. moment, we've got a very good forward line. But if Mane scores one in four, that's great. That's a bonus. That's your winger scoring. Mm. If Salah scores one in four, that's great. And Firmino will probably score one in four. But who is that player who's scoring the one in two? And that's all... When Klopp was at Dortmund, he had Lewandowski. Yeah. Dominic Solanke. Well, he, you know... He, Give him time. He, well, he, he might time. come on, but... I think going back to the Burnley goal, you can talk about defensive coaching all you want, but if two centre-halves go for the same ball and the keeper hasn't called, the ball drops, none of the defence react, and someone fires it in, that's, that can be down to coaching. But if what are two centre-halves on 100 grand a week going for the same ball doing? Hmm. Who's, who's communicating? That's what you're saying. Yeah. What's, Sim, what's Mignolet saying to the defenders yeah. in front of him? Someone, take, someone taking ownership of... Of who's doing what. And having someone behind you that you have confidence in. Goalkeeper, that, that's the thing, knowing your back four. I think the consistency that Tottenham have had through playing the back five that they did last season was probably half of their strength. When they talk about going to Wembley, and Wembley is obviously in their mind now, the same way that it was in West Ham's, but it is an excuse because the back four that they had last year was, you know, you take Kyle Walker out of that, even if the lads come in and done well, it's essentially breaking up a unit that they've always had that, that, that they had such great results with. That Chelsea, well, I'm just comparing that to Chelsea's, you know, and it's something that Liverpool haven't quite found out the right mix for. I think every great team um, down the years has always had that solid core at the back. And yeah, you say Tottenham and they've got that brilliant out of Ireland for Tongan, Lloris kind of back three, and you just always know the back three. Whereas with Liverpool, you just don't see that solidity at the back. And and it it resonates throughout the whole team and the confidence um, oozes out of the team when you just know you haven't got that solid line back yep. behind you and I think that is Liverpool's problem and as I said Virgil van Dijk would have sold a lot of those problems because yeah. that has been the fundamentals of any successful team just looking at the Premier League you know just I know being xenophobic for a second and Brexit but you look at <laughs> you look at Premier League teams and the history of it and that you know, even that Blackburn team that won it in '95. You know, it was, uh, Colin Hendry is the leader. You know, yeah, and Graham, Graham, Graham Lasso. You know, and the, the, they're this really solid team. And you know, United when they won it first was Bruce and Pallister, and then you know, as, as they develop, it goes on to being becoming you know Vidic and Ferdinand, and then when Chelsea, you know, and Arsenal, they had you know Keown and uh, Adams and Steve Bald, and then you look at Chelsea, Desai at the beginning stages of the Abramovich era, but then when Jose comes in, that back two. Was was initially Gallas and Terry, and he breaks up with Carvalho. But then you had that, you know, that back four of initially Wayne Bridge and Ashley Cole of, you know, Bri- uh, Cole, Terry, Carvalho, and um, yeah, you knew what it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was and yeah, exactly. And she's new every week, yeah. and uh, Gallas at right back, and then that became Ivanovic. And Chelsea had this such strength, and United have had it, and I think City have had it to a point where, like you're saying, Liverpool just seems to, you don't know, week for week, do you? But talking about Van Dijk, you mentioned there, whose whose fault is it that Liverpool haven't signed Virgil Van Dijk? It's not, it's not Klopp's fault, is it? Now, if I think what we've seen in the current in the current window is transfer fees don't mean anything anymore. No. They don't mean anything anymore. So if if Klopp's gone to the board and said he's the only player I want, and they believe in Klopp as the manager and they've mm. got the money, then surely they just find out what Southampton's Make price is and buy him. Yeah. And if but if the board have said to Klopp, we've got sixty million to spend on a centre half, and you know you can't get Van Dijk, why isn't there a list of replacements? Yeah. Or is he just so nailed on? That's it. I only want that player, and I'm prepared to wait for him as long as possible. You know, I think that it's, he's playing a game of roulette with that. But I just think that if if FSG have got the money, 
Mm. Liverpool are back in the Champions League. We've got Dunkin' Donuts as a partner. We've got every commercial partner in the world, but they can't afford to go an extra £10 million to get the player in that the manager wants. I think that's a problem at boardroom level and not. Well, yeah, well, let's talk about let's, let's take a break and come back because we'll, we'll pick that up with, uh, with Chelsea's game at the weekend. The Whistleblowers is backed for the season by Labrooks. All right, so just picking up from that game, Gary, because in, in terms of a, a nil-nil, it, it, you know, you talk about as a not necessarily a stalemate, but as a, an action-packed one. Um, what did you make of the game in terms of uh, both sides on view? Because obviously there was a lot to be said from Arsenal going into that game. Yeah, and some have spoken about a lot, actually. I think that one thing that I... It's not so much admiration, but one thing I respect about Arsenal is that Whenever they go, some teams, they sort of steamroll into a crisis where, you know, it snowballs, where they go from one game to another to another, you know, in the way Palace have at the start of the season. Whereas Arsenal, they get completely trounced by Liverpool and they sort of learn their lesson. But then later on, you know, come November, December time, they'll sort of forget their lesson and they'll go back to what they did. But I think it was bad luck for Chelsea that they met Arsenal when they did. Whereas you look and think they've just been, you know, smashed 5-0 by Liverpool a couple of weeks ago what are the numbers of you know Chelsea going to put on them today but then they sat so deep you know and they really squeezed the space between their defence and um, the midfield that gave Morata, Willian and Pedro in the first half no room and I think maybe Conte didn't expect that and I don't think he, was, he underestimated Wenger but I think what he did is that he didn't expect Wenger he expected Wenger to do stereotypical Wenger and just don't care what happens on a reverse type Bellerin yeah. and um, Kolasinac are going to defend on the Chelsea box yep. you know um, is going to be the last man on the halfway line but when that happens Pedro gets in behind in the way that Salah did you know, and it's embarrassing they really it was a really disciplined performance from yeah, Arsenal yeah and when that's the thing it's, it's almost like at the point where people started underestimating him he's starting to show a bit more true colour which is it's maybe too little too late when it comes to Arsenal but you know I don't know for, for a London team with your perspective uh, after you know watching Fulham you've seen man- many managers come and go and the inconsistencies that are costed what do you think about you know Wenger's performance against Chelsea I, it was weird wasn't it because normally Wenger doesn't care for the opposition and they play the Arsenal way and they don't um, relent from their from their way of playing yeah. but actually against Chelsea he showed them an immense amount of respect and just thought let's get a result yeah. here and actually made it a far more compact defensively minded Arsenal and we rarely see him go to another club and treat them yeah. with such respect you remember it a few years ago actually they went to Man City and they put Coquelin in defensive midfield and it was a real like whoa Arsene Wenger doesn't do that Arsene Wenger yeah, doesn't yeah. change his side to counter another but he did it again this weekend at Chelsea and it paid dividends because a nil-nil draw for them at Stamford Bridge it's just I think it's a, it's a really good result because their record against the top five, top six in the last few seasons has been yeah, nothing sort of shambolic. I think yeah. they maybe got nine, ten points last season, which just yeah. isn't anywhere near good enough for Arsenal. So actually, I, th- I think it's worked. It's and statement. Right. Just, yeah. just to add to that, it was, it's interesting we say, because in the press conference after, Wenger was talking about this game as, as though it were a win. You know, saying after Liverpool, it was, it was a great result for us to come here and get a clean sheet. You know, And, and he's right that at stages in that game, Arsenal looked a stronger side than Chelsea. Um, yeah. I think maybe that was down to the personnel on the Chelsea side that, you know, I did down as a 4 new win for Chelsea, right? Because I thought, um, you know, being a bit a bit of bravado, but I thought he would start Kante, um, Bakayoko and Sesk in a five-man midfield and that Chelsea would just bamboozle them. Yeah. But I think that not having Bakayoko there really 
affected you know the way Chelsea were playing the whole dynamic of the game that Arsenal got a you know grounding in it and it worked to their favour they didn't have Urzel in the side because they had players playing in a different way and would you think that's the impact I mean the Bakayoko already has that impact by not playing and just in terms of the balance against Otsu is that what you're saying yeah I just think with, with Bakayoko is that he's SEN from 10 years ago you know and it's the way he plays football I, I'd never seen him in person until this year um and just watching him against Leicester and Slimani was just bouncing off him when he was yeah. trying to track him back and then when he came off the bench because of Pedro's injury he, he got the ball and he just three Arsenal players it was like playing rugby yeah. you know they were just like trying to bring him down and the guy is so physically aggressive but in the right way mm. that going on that midfield with Kante and if they play another player like Seskin there they're just really going to dominate games if you're talking about physically aggressive how good was Kolasinac by the way Brilliant. I mean yeah I remember talking about it in the summer with my brother and it, that was, for me, that was a nailed on player Liverpool should be signing. Mm. Klopp must know about him. Yeah. He's probably managed against him five or six times. Joel Matip's played alongside him for two or three years and Liverpool have ended up gambling on a 10 million fullback from a team that got relegated. Andrew Robertson might gone to be a very good player but Kolasinac is now the only really physical player Arsenal have got and he dragged Arsenal through that at times. Mm. He's also got the most assists. He's, yeah, he's, just, he's just been incredible I mean Moses overpowered a lot of players last season he banked, you just see him bouncing off him I was really impressed with him and it, especially in the second half because where the press box is that's the left and that's when Arsenal I thought came into they had a really good first you know, period in the first half but in the second half I think that's when they really asserted themselves physically and just seeing him marauding down that wing and you know, there's been a lot of criticism of certain players at Chelsea for the fact that Chelsea didn't score goals but I think you need to look at what Arsenal did and I think the way that Bellerin and Kolasinac played mm. they played in a way that no one was expecting them to because I know he started the season well but you'd expect maybe Monreal to play there and the way he played he doesn't look like a player that can do that job but he's almost like a Shakiri as a wing back well, I'm gonna, let's talk let's stay on the, the full back thing because Owen I know you you've after the not just after the Liverpool game but Man City and how he has basically assembled that squad it almost touches on your point about the transfers and how key those fullbacks are and perhaps something that was overlooked before when he gets, spends 122 million gets scoffed at for spending it but the impact that's had for City well I couldn't believe he didn't do it last year because I think anyone who watches the Premier League week in week out would have known who was Uri's four fullbacks Kolarov mm. Clichy yeah. Sanya and Zabaleta yeah I think everyone knew they couldn't play Pep style. Yeah. So it it led to such an imbalance in the team. He was having to play Zabaleta as defensive midfield and getting Sanya to tuck yeah, in. They were getting and done. it just meant that yeah, they were, like they were De Bruyne exposed. and Silva yeah. were going out wide all the time. Now you look at it by, by I say by simply spending 122 million on fullbacks. <laughs> and that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> no. But he's gone right. That's he's what done I need. The right thing. And that's brought De Bruyne and Silva inside. Yeah. They're playing. They're playing in oppositions off. I mean, what they did to Watford at the weekend. Watford aren't even a bad team. No. And I'm not just saying that because we. Didn't get no, you know we, we drew three all there. They're Absolutely. a good team. They've got a good manager. They've got power all over the pitch. They've got good, good and they strikers. Don't get they don't get embarrassed. By and you could see they, Silver they on the side. Aye. Silver's won stuff, didn't he? Won the league with Olympiacos. He did very well. Was it with Estoril when he was in Portugal? I, yep. I might have the. Well, team the fact he knew he kept Hull up was a half a miracle. Yeah, yeah. I mean Hull <laughs> were awful, weren't yeah. they? Did you see his face on the sideline? Silver at the weekend. He's just lent in his dugout, going, "Well, I, there's nothing I can do about this." Yeah, yeah. The, the, Kyle Walker, you shut up shop yeah. when, they're in, when they're occupying your half like that you just get picked off well Kyle Walker isn't Danny Alves is he but I tell you what he can be for City mm. because they don't need Kyle Walker to hit 25 good crosses a game like Danny Alves used to do oh, good point. they yeah. just need him to close down that space win the ball give it to De Bruyne and De Bruyne at the moment you know in the when you know when they gave Liverpool an absolute hammering 
De Bruyne was just as the way good he finds space. Yeah. It's incredible. He's just as good as anything I've ever well, seen. And you know, I mean, it'd be interesting. I mean, he could still be a Chelsea player. Yeah, yeah but I think that this is the thing is in hindsight, it's a bad sale. But I think everything that was going on with him at Chelsea and the money they got for him, it was a good, it was a good sell at yeah, the time. It was at the time. He, he, even now, I think if if he if he had to go head to head, where because he, he was sort of competing with Hazard at Chelsea, and even now, I don't think he would would no. touch him. But I think he could play a role in that Chelsea side. But yeah, you look back and you think, why were they selling him? But I think it was a good sale at the time. I think there's so many good players, amazing players that have been on the Chelsea roundabout. There's always going to be a few that fall off along yeah, the way. Yeah, but I, I think, think as well, was... though, you need at Chelsea, just I know we're going off point here, but I think at Chelsea, with, with some of the players, that they need to be of a certain you know, makeup almost, you know. And I think the Bruner enjoys playing the football that he does at, at City, which is what yeah. you know, Guardiola's promoting. But I think at Chelsea, even under Conte, there's something different required. You need to have, to have a little bit of a different edge that I don't think he's got. That doesn't mean make him a bad player. It just means he's a player that's not suited for Chelsea. Well, he wouldn't fit into that system now, would he? No, no, not There's not nowhere he could also, play. Clubs should have their own personality. It's very important that clubs have their own identity. I mean, you look at the teams in Europe and we, we still spot the difference between those sides based on what we've always known about them. And, and that's, that's always been the case. And players, that's the beauty of football, being able to go to another club and still reinvent yourself and become the player that people expect you to be. The Bruyne, it's almost out of the blue how good he was compared yeah, to the player that I, I, I think with De Bruyne as well, what you're seeing there as well is that he's a mistake for Chelsea, not because they sold him, for the fact they bought him, because he, he came to Chelsea at a time when the club was almost embarrassed to be what they were, and they were trying to change it. AVB had come in in 2011 and yeah. had this grand plan for five years, and you saw they started buying all these more diminutive, diminutive type of players, you know, that Mata came in and then Hazard came in in the summer of 2012, and they were playing, signing players like Oscar and all the rest of it. And I think suddenly they realised they didn't need De Bruyne. And I know it sounds stupid to say, you don't need De Bruyne, what are you playing at? But Chelsea have got back yeah. to the root of what they are, and they sort of contradict themselves because they've got this sugar daddy owner, they've got all the money they could want, deep pockets, yet what Ch- what's made Chelsea successful is Endeavour, you mm. know, and, and they've always been a side that grinds stuff out. And, they, and when they're not ashamed to, they do great things like they did last year. Yeah. Well, let's just come back to Chelsea. Sammy, the last word on this. Uh, do you think this could be Pep's year? I mean, is, has he, is, is he building a team that this is what his plan was all along? Or do you think this is just... This I still the- don't think it's anywhere near to what Pep... Well, what I still think that Pep's thinking five years down the line, I think I genuinely think he's trying to build something really special at Man City. But yeah, I do think it's yeah. going to be their year of sorts. I, I still think there's so much competition. It's really hard to call it right now. What I'm loving at City is the return of the classic uh, forward partnership up front. Mm. You often see now uh, clubs only playing one up front, but I'm just loving Aguero and Jesus. That's right. It's like the return of the old days, you know, the uh, York and Cole, Shearer and Sutton kind of um, front yeah. two pairing and I think the BBC have, at the moment there's a vote for your favourite forward partnership. It's kind of rolling back the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, that's as a forward myself. I, yeah, yeah. I, they look I like admire they want, that. They look like, like they want to play together, don't they? Though Aguero and Jesus, that's the thing. They look like they really enjoy being on the pitch at the same time. Well, listen, thanks to Sammy, Owen and Gary uh, for a look at last week's games. In the next pod, we're going to look at uh, the games coming up this weekend. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labbrooks. Give software vendor audits the red card by signing up the Livingstone Managed Service Team right away. Call 0203 817 4880 or visit livingstone-tech.com to find out how. Sports Social Podcast Network.